So today, we are starting a new series um, called Coming King, and the series is all about eschatology, which is the study of the end times. And um, Ron Troyer, one of the elders of the church, is going to be helping me as we go through this month and um, talking about this topic. And our prayer is really that you would lean into it, that you would dive into it, that you would learn more in these next four weeks about the end of the age than maybe you ever knew before. Now, as Ron and I met and we were kind of talking about what are some things that we want to share, we thought there was no way we'll be able to contain this topic in a four-week series. So we did make a cheat sheet booklet for you. Hopefully you got one of these on your way in. If, you're, if not, you can get it on the way out. Uh, but it has a glossary of terms. Uh, so as you're reading these scriptures, you can kind of look up, hey, okay, what does that mean? Or, or, or what, how, you know, you can make sense of some things. For example, eschatology is here. Uh, so if you forgot what that word means this week, you can look at it. And then also a personal reading plan for the end times. If you want to, in your personal devotions, read through all the chapters that the end times is mentioned in the scripture. It's more than just Revelation, actually. It's all through the scripture, so that's here. And then some extra books. If you want to uh, get on Amazon and order one of these books, um, that will help you. The last um, one, Ready or Not, Here I Come, is actually written for children. So if you want to continue these family series and talk to your kids about the end times, um, you can. that last one is a good resource. And so we're really excited about that. And another thing, um, all through this series, we are going to take your questions. Now, we won't take your questions live because that would be scary. That would be the end times for us. Uh, but we will take your questions at uh, question at eriefirst.org. So if, I, if I'm preaching today and there's something that you're like, you know, I want to know more about that, or maybe in your Bible reading you're wondering, or as Ron shares in these next couple weeks, would you email us those questions? And then what we're going to do is get together and make a podcast to answer all of your questions. And then you can tune in, you can listen to it, and you can... Um, just listen to the answers to your questions. We'll do our best. We don't know all the answers to all of it, but we'll certainly do the research for you and try to give you the best information possible. And so um, what I want to start with today is the end times can really stir up a lot of emotions in people, okay? They can really stir up a lot of emotions in people. Some people, um, we said that we're going to talk about the end times, and you were very interested in it. You're thinking, oh, I really want to get to church. Um, you, maybe you um, have been thinking about it. You, maybe you've watched some movies or some, the way Hollywood depicts it. And you're thinking, I'm really wondering if that's what the scripture actually says. In fact, some people get a little bit too obsessed with it. They, they get obsessed with the codes and the charts and the predictions. And, and they, get, they lose a little sight of the whole point of the end times. Then there are those who doubt it. There are those who um, ignore it completely because they find it all to be a little bit too theatrical, a little bit not very practical. We, we prefer answers and explanations, and the end times is not clear and cut about that. And so they doubt some of these wild scenes that are going to really unfold. And it's interesting, in 2 Peter 3, it actually tells us that there will be a group of people who doubt the prophecies of the end times. Uh, 2 Peter 3.3 3 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming that he promised? And so the scripture even prophesied the people that are doubting. Um, some people write it off because it's too difficult to understand. They think, I, I can't make sense of 
the, you know, the two witnesses and the Antichrist and the 666, and what does this even mean? And so they just say, I don't understand it, so I'm not even going to deal with it. Some people say Revelation is just too hard to understand, but I want to assure you today and through this um, series that Revelation is just like any other book in the Bible. With the Holy Spirit's help and with our dedication to study it, we can understand it. We, anyone can understand it. The scripture was not written so that we understand parts of it and not parts of it. You just need to lean in a little bit harder on the Holy Spirit to help you with it. And email question at eeriefirst.org. So we'll give you two resources. Another feeling that we often get about the end times is maybe a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of fear when we start talking about it. Um, after all, we're told that our mistakes will be revealed, our secrets will be exposed, that um, our, our life, our sin, will, everyone will see it and, and we will have to account for it. The scripture says books will be opened, names will be read, the final moment of your destiny will be determined, that wars will increase, that the mark of the beast and the antichrist are all terms that maybe can make you feel a little panicky when you think about it. Well, no matter how you feel about the end times, whether you're disinterested, doubtful, fearful, whatever it is, God is really clear on how he wants us to feel. And so I want to start with that, that God says in John 14, and he's specifically talking about the end times here, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. There's a DC Talk song about that. I think that they wrote it. Big, big house. Listen to it later. But what he's saying in John 14 is that you may feel all of these things, but I want to tell you that I want you to feel at peace. He says, trust in God and trust in me, and I will come back and take you with me. That's, that's his simple message. That's a simple scenario. Jesus has gone away for a while, but he will return. And until then, he wants his children to be at peace. He wants his children to trust him enough so that their hearts won't be troubled. It's interesting, theologians say that there are upwards of about 350 distinct prophecies in the scripture about the coming of Christ. 350 times that the, it's prophetically said that Christ is going to come. And about a third of them are talking about the first time he came, which was in a manger, born of a virgin, the reason we celebrate Christmas, about a third of them. So that means two-thirds of them are about Christ's second coming. And I just got to thinking that if Jesus came and fulfilled one-third of these prophecies during his first coming, and we are all sure of that, then he is certain to come and fulfill two-thirds of the prophecies left for his second coming. In fact, maybe he is doubly certain to fulfill those prophecies because he's already shown us that he does what he says he will do. And we can have peace knowing that our God has already proven to be faithful and true, and he does what he says he will do. And I often wonder if, if Jesus did that on purpose. He says, I'm going to give all of these prophecies for the end of time so that my people understand that if I've done this, I will do what I said I'm going to do. And so we can trust him for it. So during this series, wherever your heart lands on the end times, I'm going to challenge you to replace it with peace. 
Peace in the place of fear, peace in the place of discomfort, peace in the place of doubt, peace in the place of panic. Because really the challenge of studying the end times and studying the return of Jesus is not the subject itself, it's how we respond to the subject. So there are two things that I believe the study of the end times should produce in us. And the first is this, grow in our love for Jesus. And the second is to be more engaged in his mission. So to grow in our love for Jesus and to be more engaged in his mission. So in the New Testament, when the apostles were taught about the return of Jesus, it motivated them to build the church. It was interesting. They didn't check out and live selfishly. They didn't think, okay, Jesus is coming back, so I'm just going to do whatever I want because I don't have to, I don't have to worry about it. They didn't, they didn't store extra beans in their basement and buy a generator, okay? That was not their response. That was supposed to be the funniest part of the whole message. <laughs> Thank you. It's not a lot of jokes you can make about the end times. You guys got to come with me here. But their response was this. When they heard the truth that Jesus was coming back, they poured their whole life into building the church. That was their response. When they said, when they heard that Christ was going to come again, their response was, well, then, okay, we better not hide out. We better not hope that it comes true. We better not make sure that we're safe. We better go out and tell everyone everywhere that Christ is coming again and they better be ready. And that was their response. When people think about the return of Jesus, they often focus on the great tribulation or the antichrist or the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about all those things in these coming weeks. But truly, the primary focus of the return of Jesus is Jesus. The primary focus of the return of Jesus is Jesus. And Revelation 1.1 says it all, that the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So when John penned the book of Revelation, he introduced it as, this is the revelation of Jesus. He didn't say, these are all the things that are going to happen. You guys better look at this so that it's a plan, so that you know what's going on. He said, the primary reason that the angel came and told me all this is because it reveals Jesus. And so the book of the Bible reveals the glory of Jesus and his plan to transition the earth to the age to come. And this book is called The Revelation of Jesus because it reveals his heart and his power and his leadership and preparing for the nations for God's glory. It's interesting, I think we have it backwards. From God's perspective, the end times is just a stage setting to show Jesus' glory. It's the backdrop. All of these things that we'll learn about, the signs of the times and and the things that will point to, to Jesus coming back, that's all just the backdrop. That's all secondary to the main character of the story. And he wants to invite the church into the story. He wants us to be part of the plan to ultimately glorify Jesus. And if we are reading Revelation correctly, it causes us to love Jesus and trust his leadership as we see these dramatic plans he has in the end times. Mike Bickle says it this way, God's wise and loving plans combine his sovereignty, human free will, and satanic rage to rest in the end time harvest of souls and a victorious church without violating justice or man's free will. 
He's showing us that the God we serve is perfect, he is sovereign, and he has a plan. And Revelation is supposed to show us that. Not so concerned about if we understand all the details of the plan and we can predict exactly when things are going to happen, but the fact that Jesus has the plan. And we can trust the person with the plan. And we can trust that we are understanding and revealing who Jesus is through the plan. Revelation is actually the only book in the Bible which God promises a special blessing to anyone who reads or hears it and a curse to anyone who adds or takes away from it. And so, of course, at times, the enemy is going to want us to not read Revelation. The enemy is going to try to convince us you won't understand it. It's scary. Stay away from it because there's literally a blessing tied to it. And the enemy doesn't want us to be blessed. And so Jesus says, Revelation 1.3, John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. And so as we're studying the book of Revelation and as we're understanding more of who Jesus is, there will be a blessing in that. Revelation reveals who Jesus is. It was, it was neat. Um, uh, actually, Dan Sheldon, I'm going to tell a little story about him. He uh, Facebook messaged me a couple, a week ago or so. He said, hey, um, you said there were seven I am statements of Jesus. Um, you know, we did that series last month. Hopefully you were here for a few of those. He said, but I was reading in Revelation and I found an I am statement, pastor. <laughs> what, are you lying to me? That's, he said it nicer than that. And I said, oh, great question. Great question. In Revelation, there are I am statements as well. So I'm excited that he found those. But they are not spoken by Jesus himself. These are spoken by an angel to John who writes them down. And so the seven I am statements of Jesus refer to uh, the, the seven times he himself said, I am blank. And so these things are true. They just were not spoken by his mouth. And so I want to read them to you just to encourage you so that you can see more of who Jesus is, that, that the revelation of Jesus will grow stronger in you. Revelation 1, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 17, I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And in each of the messages to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. As the one who is the first and the last, who is dead and who came to life. And it goes on and on. And he, Jesus identifies himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And he's just revealing himself as he shows his strength and power and might and his wisdom and his compassion and his holiness. And he shows his justice and his timelessness. And as we see that over and over in the scripture, in the book of Revelation, we grow in our love for him. It's like your, your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. As you get to know them more, you love them more. As you understand more of who they are, you get to love him more. And so the revelation of Jesus shows us that as we understand more of the end times, as we realize how he is so compassionate and strong and mighty and just, and how in the very end he will vanquish for all time evil for us forever, that we love him more. In fact, in Revelation, there are nearly 100 descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And the scripture tells us 
that this pure, fiery, bronze-footed son of man has one priority, and that is protecting you. That is protecting his church. That is protecting his people. Revelation says he holds them in the palm of his mighty right hand, that Jesus is the perfect priest, the source of strength, the sound of love, the everlasting light, and in the end times, someday you will see him. Someday you will be with this Jesus forever if you accept the gift of salvation. Someday you'll be pure as snow. You will never sin again. You will be as strong as bronze. You will dwell by a river. You will never feel lonely. You will never doubt. You, you will not cry another tear. And someday you will see Christ in all of his fullness as he really is. And that's what the revelation of the end times is about. And this is when I, when, I, when I understand this more, I see why God says, no, don't doubt, don't fear, don't stray away from it, don't, don't try to say you can't understand it. Because when you understand who Jesus is, you get more excited and grow in love for him and you want more of who he is. And so then you want to understand more about his plan for the end of the age. It's interesting, in John's encounter with Jesus in Revelation 1, John was a disciple of Christ, if you remember he was the one that they called the one Jesus loved, uh, which was kind of like this term of, of affection. Um, he, he was the one that, that Jesus hung out with the most. We see in the scripture that John asked Jesus questions that no one else felt they could ask Jesus. And so they were very close. They were close friends. They had a close relationship. If there was somebody on earth we could say knew Jesus on earth, it would be John. But in Revelation, John encounters Jesus on this island of Patmos, and it says that he fell down as though he was dead. And all at once, Jesus was both familiar and radically different than anything John had experienced before. And I believe that John had an encounter with Jesus like none he had ever known before, and he had had a lot of encounters with Jesus. And that's what I am asking Jesus for during this series. For me and for you, I'm praying that as we look at the revelation of all that Jesus is and all that he says he is, that when we look at the context of the end of the age and the great battle that will ensue and the signs of the times and the potential for trials beyond our imagination, that we also have an encounter with Jesus like none that we've ever known before. That we would, maybe the Jesus we thought we knew would become a whole nother level, a whole nother aspect, just like John had that experience with Jesus, that we would grow in love for our coming king and that we would have this moment as we understood what he is coming for, that what it's gonna be like when we see him, that that excitement would rekindle all the love that we have in our heart for Jesus. And so I wanna pray a prayer right now and I want, I want you to pray this every day this week. Every time you think of it, every moment, I want you to pray it, Jesus, help me love you more today. Would you just say that out loud today? Jesus, help me love you more today. And I'm just going to say that over and over this week. And as we study Revelation, and if you read uh, one of those books that are on the reading list or you read in the scripture, would you just pray that? Jesus, help me love you more today. Help me love you more today than yesterday. Help me love you more in my 50s than I did in my 40s. Help me love you more in my 60s than I did in my 30s. God, help me love you more. Because as we get to know Jesus, as we understand the revelation of the coming king, our love for Jesus should grow. All right, the second thing that the end time study should produce in us 
is to be more engaged in Jesus's mission. To be more engaged in Jesus's mission. Now, the first century church didn't see the return of Jesus, but they did a really good job living in light of it. And they modeled a really great example of what we should be doing today. Um, in 2 Timothy, Paul charges Timothy to keep in the forefront of, their, of the people's minds the judgment by Christ that is coming. And, and the fact that there are more challenging times coming and, and, the, and Christians must stay faithful to their assignment. As Christ followers, we have to be faithfully prepared for the end. Not just the end of our own lives, but the end of the age. And so Jesus connected the timing of his return to something specific, to a mission of preaching the gospel to all nations. He says, that's my mission. I want, to, I want you to look at it in Matthew 24, 14. It says, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what this is saying is that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations before Christ will return. Now, some theologians say that with all of the missionary advancement that we have done and all the people groups and the way we've been able to get to all the, the you know, obscure parts of the world that they predict, they expect that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world in the year 2020. Now, we don't know for sure, but that is what some of them say. And so the whole of the scripture indicates to us that the mission is more than just evangelism. The mission isn't just to go and say, you can be saved. Here is, here is the gospel. Make a decision for Jesus. That, that short-term missions trips and translating the Bible into languages and things like that, the mission of Jesus is is to disciple the nations to be ready for Jesus to come back. So it's more than just uh, making sure that they've heard the name of Jesus. It's this idea that we have to disciple the nations for Jesus to be ready to come back. The scripture says in Matthew 28, 18, which is just four verses later, that we should go and make disciples of all nations. That we should make disciples means more than just conversion. It means more than just one decision or one moment. Disciple making is teaching the nations to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so I think that in this particular part that some have made preparing for the, Lord, the Lord's return primarily about um, trying to figure out the date so that we're not surprised. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, the first century church didn't spend their time trying to predict the identity of the Antichrist or trying to figure out the date of Jesus' return. They didn't spend any of their time interpreting political events. What they spent their time doing was maturing the church. They spent their time discipling people. And not just discipling people in their lives, but sending missionaries and sending people to places where they will never have heard the, the name of Jesus and discipling them in the ways of Jesus and in the end times. The church and the people of the church will need to be strong to resist the Antichrist. It will need to be strong to stand up and be the gospel of the kingdom. And so what the scripture is saying is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So there needs to be a strong voice for Jesus all around the world so that when the Antichrist comes, the church can stay strong. The scripture says that the church will be Jesus' herald to every nation. 
A herald is someone who comes in before the main event and says, prepare. Everybody prepare for this person's coming. And that's what the church is to be. The church is commissioned to, uh, to, to perform and function in the way of being a herald for Jesus, of, of standing up for who he is. He gave us a job. In the unfolding end times story, we are to be the herald. And so Christ says, go and make disciples of all nations so that the church can be strong when the end times comes. And when we study more of the end times, we should be more engaged in Jesus' mission. So as Christ followers, we should be constantly discipling others in the scripture. So who are you pouring into right now? Who are you fighting for to understand who Jesus is? Who are you praying for so that they can come into a relationship with Jesus and then can be discipled so that they're ready for the second coming of Christ? Are you living in light of the coming king or have you forgotten your mission? When Jesus comes back, will he find you doing the work he has asked you to do? Or are you distracted? Are you disengaged? Are you too busy? Are you trying to get everything else right with your life before you live it in light of the coming king? Matthew 24, 42, just a few verses later, is a sobering few verses. It says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you living on mission? The fact that God will not allow the Antichrist to emerge and the end time drama to begin until all the nations are prepared, until all the nations are discipled with his truth and his hope, shows so much about who he is. In fact, when I, when I sort of was studying this and I, and I became um, aware of the fact, I said, God, why? Why is this something? Why does every nation need to know and understand? Lord, why would you do it that way? The Holy Spirit was so clear with me to explain that, that he is not hoping and waiting for us to fail or catch us in a technicality. He's not saying, I'm going to come when they're not watching. I'm going to get them because, because they're not paying attention. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is kind. In fact, our God is so good and he desires relationship with us so much that he will wait until every nation has heard of his great love before he allows evil to completely come in and show God's glory. How great is our God? He will wait until everyone hears because he loves them so much and because he wants the church to succeed and the church to be strong. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the signs of the times. We're going to talk about the great tribulation and the rapture and the second coming. But the end times shouldn't make us panic. Jesus says that our hearts should be full of peace. And every time we read about the end of the age and the coming king, Jesus says our love for Jesus should grow and we should be reminded of our mission, that we are to be making disciples of Jesus in every nation, 
every tribe, every tongue, because that is his heart. And he is waiting for us to fulfill the mission that he has given us so that he can come again and we can live with him forever in all of his fullness and glory and sovereignty and safety and complete peace. And that's the message of the end times. There's a lot of technicalities. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of details. And we're going to talk about all that. But the very first thing I wanted to tell you this morning as we launched this series is that this is the revelation of who Jesus is. And he is good. And he is great. And he is mighty. And he wants us to understand all that he is because we will spend forever with him if you are become a believer in Jesus. So would you stand? We're going to pray this morning. Jesus, we come to you and we pray that you would help us love you more. God, we pray that you would help us love you more today. We pray that you would help us love you more tomorrow than we do today. God, we pray that as we understand more of the revelation of who you are, that we could grow in our love for you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we could be on mission. That this week, that you would not find us disengaged or distracted. That you would not find us too busy that you would not find us putting off sharing our faith or discipling other people because it doesn't fit into our schedule. But God, that we could keep watch, that we could live on the edge of understanding that at any moment you could come. And Father, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found living in the light of the coming King. And God, we are so excited. We anticipate being with you forever in that perfect place, in that house with many rooms, God, that you have created for us to live forever if we're believers in you. So Father, thank you for your promises for the end of the age. God, thank you that you do not want our hearts to be troubled, that they can be full of peace in Jesus' name. And God, it is in your coming King's name I pray, amen. Hey, go get your car washed to support Africa. Have a great week.